All right, so uh, we're still going through the uh, what we teach statement by the elders. Um, we are on the church, so we started this last Sunday. Um, I don't see any extra handouts up here. I think we were running pretty low, so... Which is true, right, yeah, so you're supposed to bring a bath, so hopefully you have one. Um, if, if you don't, I'm sure Julie could run one off real quick. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> oh, at home. <laughs> uh, well, maybe you need to share with a neighbor, I don't know. So, um, yeah, so who, who would want one or need one this morning? So I got one for Gary. Okay, Julie, if you could run off a couple copies, that would be great. So... All right, we'll run off a few copies, um, and, um, and we'll get hand those out to you. So um, you might uh, be able to kind of share with your neighbor. Otherwise, we can listen carefully. Uh, I'm going to, we did start a few paragraphs, a few lines into the section titled The Church. Um, I'm going to go ahead and reread those. Uh, we already talked about a lot of those, but um, I just want to review, get us up to speed with where we're at this morning. So The Church. We believe... And one thing, just to remember, this is the what we teach document by the elders. So this is what the elders believe, what we teach. We've already gone through the, the member doctrinal statement. The member doctrinal statement is the declaration of faith of this church. So all the members are saying, this is what we believe. Versus this document, we're not saying that everyone in the church or that could become a member of the church necessarily believes all the details in here, but this is what the elders believe and this is what the elders are going to teach. So just to remind you of that as we walk through this. We believe that all who are placed by, uh, who place their faith in Jesus Christ are immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit into one united spiritual body, the church, the bride of Christ, of which Christ is the head. We believe that the formation of the church, the body of Christ, began on the day of Pentecost. Uh, we believe that the church is a unique spiritual organism designed by Christ, made up of all born-again believers in this present age. The church is distinct from Israel, a mystery not revealed until this age. We believe that the establishment and continuity of local churches is clearly taught and defined in the New Testament scriptures, and that the members of the one spiritual body directed to gather themselves together in local assemblies. I believe that's where we stopped, and just to remind you, that's the idea of there's one universal church. Uh, God alone can see all of who is part of the universal church, the universal assembly, and really that universal assembly won't be manifested until the new heavens and the new earth. Um, it's distinct from Israel in this time and age. It includes believing Israelites in this age. Israel still has a, a role, a function as a nation, um, going forward, uh, so we don't deny that at all, and yet the way God is working, he's working through uh, the church, um, and that would include Israel, and even up to the, the final time where um, a, a future generation of all Israel will, will believe. Um, but as we have this one universal church, uh, it is manifested in many local churches, and so you see the plurals of church in the New Testament. You see Revelation 2 through 3, where Jesus is addressing his local churches. So what are the local churches? They're manifestations of that universal body. Uh, again, I like that analogy of embassy. Uh, the church is not the kingdom, but it is a representation and a, of the kingdom citizenry and is a representative body of the future kingdom that will um, encompass the entire planet. Um, so uh, that's, that's a couple ways you can think about the local church. 
All right, so now we get into um, more, more details. We believe that the one supreme authority for the church is Christ, and that church leadership, gifts, order, discipline, and worship are all appointed through his sovereignty as found in the scriptures. The biblically designated officers serving under Christ and over the assembly are elders, also called bishops, that's the old word, um, pastors, and pastor teachers. Um, pastor just means shepherd, um, right? So you can think of uh, the terms are overseer, um, uh, is, is designating a function. Elder um, kind of more emphasizes character and standing in the community. And then pastor is also another functional term. Uh, you're caring, you're shepherding uh, the, the sheep. And that's the responsibility of all the elders. The other officers and the deacons. Uh, the deacons uh, are uh, the assistants. That's just what deacon means. The word is literally uh, like assistant, servant, or assistant. It can be used different ways in different contexts. Probably the way it's used in 1 Timothy 3, which is, gives the, you know, the outline of elders and deacons, um, it's probably used in the sense of assistance. You've got the elders. They're overseeing the, the flock and caring for it. The deacons are assistants to help the elders execute um, the, that care and oversight, both of whom must meet biblical qualifications, which are outlined. First Timothy 3 is where we get both of them. Titus 1 is where we get uh, elders, again, and kind of a little bit different emphasis there. And then First Peter 5, you also see uh, some of the character qualifications of serving as an elder. A um, couple other places that are mentioned in here, Acts 20, 28, talks about how uh, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he says that keep, uh, keep watch on the flock um, whom, um, over whom you know, God has appointed you, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the flock of God. So the overseers are recognized by the body, but ultimately they're appointed by the Spirit um, as gifts to the church. Um, so uh, that's, uh, that's a couple things um, there. Uh, we believe that these leaders lead as servants of Christ. Uh, we see that throughout the New Testament, that leadership is a servant leadership. Uh, it's a leadership from below. Um, we, we do what we do to serve uh, the congregation and have his authority in directing it, the church. Uh, the congregation is to submit to their leadership. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, uh, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Um, that is part of the uh, goal or the, uh, the what's the word, um, what we're supposed to do. Um, that's part of the charge of eldership is to keep watch over the local congregation's souls, which um, even as we'll talk a little bit more about membership here below, that's another reason why membership is so, who are we responsible to keep watch over um, as far as their souls? Uh, that's a big deal, uh, and we want to know who that is, and we want to be very diligent in that task. Um, let me pause there. Questions on offices, leadership? Elders, deacons? And when I use that term deacons. I'm using it as a class that would encompass both deacons and deaconesses, just so you guys are aware of that. All right. Going forward. We believe in the importance of discipleship. Really, um, that's our mission, right? Make disciples, and that includes ongoing or initial 
uh, proclamation of the gospel, uh, initial repentance uh, is what we would desire, but then not only initial repentance, but then an ongoing teaching of what Jesus commanded, right? Uh, That's our mission. We believe in the importance of discipleship, mutual accountability of all believers to each other. Uh, We are all members of a church to know one another, to hold one another accountable, to help us follow Jesus. Uh, That is our desire. Um, Accountability of all believers to each other, as well as the need for discipline of sinning members of the congregation in accord with the standards of Scripture. And a great deal of Scriptures are laid out there. Uh, Discipline, church discipline, we kind of think of it often as that final stage uh, when you're excommunicated, when you're out of the fellowship and you're barred from the Lord's Supper. Uh, But really, if you think about it, how does church discipline start? It starts as a process on -on one-on-one confrontation. Um, That's how it starts, Matthew 18. So we're to know one another and be involved in each other's lives enough to where regular confrontation should be happening. Uh, We don't like that. Uh, Ash and I were just talking the other day about uh, one of the underlying understandings of the church today is like uh, confrontation. Oh, no, no, no. We want everyone to feel comfortable, right? Um, but actually confrontation in a loving and kind and firm and, under, you know, uh, coming from Scripture, not just, oh, I'm annoyed at you, but coming from Scripture saying, brother or sister, I saw what you did there, and that's sinful. I want to warn you on that, and I want you so that you can follow Jesus better, Right? So really, church discipline in that sense should be happening all the time in that one-on-one setting. We talk about it, and oh yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, I repent of that. Um, You know, if there's any break in relationship, that gets repaired, and it stops, right? And that's healthy. Um, That's healthy because it's helping us all to uh, follow one another. We can each of us be deceived by sin, uh, and so the grace of the local church is to help us identify sin in our lives that we're not seeing um, and then to walk properly. So, um, and that's under the heading of discipleship. How do we follow Jesus better? Okay. Any questions on that? All right. We believe in the autonomy of the local church, free from any external authority or control with the right of self-government and freedom from the interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations. We believe that it is scriptural for true churches to cooperate with each other for the presentation and propagation of the faith. Each local church, however, through its elders and their interpretation and application of scripture, should be the sole judge of the measure and method of its cooperation. The elders should determine all other matters of membership, policy, discipline, benevolence, and government as well. So what is this talking about? Well, there's in the early church, you've got no hierarchy, really, except for the apostles who are still around. The apostles kind of have a super uh, ability to over all the churches. That makes sense because if you think about the church as a temple— the apostles and the New Testament prophets are always called the foundation. They are, um, they are those who are giving instruction for the whole church for the time until Jesus comes again. So it kind of makes sense that they have that foundational kind of overarching role. But you don't see, um, you see churches cooperating with one another, 
um, throughout the New Testament. You see people going between them, supporting one another. Uh, but it's not like there's, um, it's not like there's, if you think of an Episcopalian or um, even the Roman Catholic Church, right? There's all these levels of hierarchy that ultimately, if you're in the Roman Catholic Church, go up to the Pope. Um, or even in Presbyterianism, right, where you have uh, you have the elders of the local church, but then they report to what's called a, um, oh, I'm going to get, I can't remember the terminology for all the different things, but I think it's the presbytery is the, the local city or perhaps a little bit broader than that. So you've got like the, the, the elders and the pastors of the local church aren't actually mem- considered members of that church. They're actually considered members of the presbytery, which is um, that, that, you know, that, um, that in the city or whatever jurisdiction it is. Uh, and then it goes up from there up to the, uh, what do they call the, the big old, the, the assembly, like the, all, all the, the leaders meet, uh, or at least have representatives that meet. Um, so that's hierarchical in a sense, although it's still elder-based. Um, session, I believe, so here, here's, I'm, I'm still learning some of these terms. I bump across them every so often. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the session would actually be what we would call like uh, Jim, Steve, and I. That would be the session, um, the elders of the, the, local, the local church. But then like there's the presbytery, which is above that, if I'm not mistaken, and you're talking like not only the elders of one church, but the elders like in a jurisdiction, like a geographical area. And then you've got like all those people in a denomination. So you got like representatives that go to the PCUSA or whatever it happens to be. So there's a hierarchy there, but it's more council and elder council kind of based rather than like, like in our, the Roman Catholic Church, it's more one person, right? So we've got the priest in the, you know, local church, but then the bishop is above him, and then there's archbishops and so on and so forth up the chain of command to the pope. So, um, yeah, Lori. Good question. Very good question. Um, appreciate that. So historically, this church was founded in 1904, and if, if I'm wrong, I've done the, I've tried to read through the history and make sure I've got my, but if I'm wrong on this, you guys can correct me. So our church was founded in 1904 as a conservative Baptist church. Conservative Baptists was, um, conservative baptism was, a re- conservative Baptist the association was a response to a lot of the fundamentalist, modernist controversy, the liberalization of a lot of the denominations that was happening at the beginning of the 20th century. And so there was kind of, my understanding is, there was this breaking away of this association called conservative Baptists. Um, And this is a national kind of association. Um, But they didn't consider themselves as a denomination. It was more like, yeah, we agree to these same basic fundamental uh, beliefs, and so we're going to be uh, associated because we both hold, we all hold to these conservative beliefs. Um, and so what we have here, and it, there was different chapters of that. So there was, you know, over here in the Pacific Northwest, this church was a part of that. But it's different than say uh, even like the Southern Baptist Convention. Like we're not part of a denomination; it's an association. So we are still part of that association. 
Today it goes under, it just changed its name uh, within the last couple years, I think. It's called Church Venture. Um, so there's still the overarching organization that's called, uh, oh, I think it's just called Church Venture or something like that, or has the word venture in it. Um, they didn't like the word Baptist, I guess. Um, but then uh, you've got, like, kind of our local chapter of that is uh, uh, Church Venture Northwest, which in is an association of churches from, let's say, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, uh, over, uh, yeah, there's some in Montana. So I think there's about 250-some churches in our association. Uh, and so I go to, a, there's a mid, uh, and then even within that, there's kind of like little groupings by area. So we're part of the mid-Columbia kind of region. Um, and so um, every month that mid-Columbia region meets, the pastors meet together. So um, I try to go, I've tr gone to many of those. I can't get to them every month. But um, so you've got Grace Baptist Church uh, over in White Salmon. You've got Rowena Baptist Church um, over in Rowena. Um, you've got, there's, there's a church in the Dalles, and I've never met that guy's pastor. Um, I can't remember the name of the church. Um, uh, and then uh, Adam Peck up in uh, Mount Adams Baptist, uh, Guy Watley over in Condon. Um, am I forgetting anyone? Oh, yeah, Grass Valley and Kent, um, and Joe Burgess is kind of pastoring both congregations right now. So good handful of those guys and kind of in this mid-Columbia region. So how does it affect us? Yeah, that's, that's the question. Um, basically, it doesn't much. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 I mean, that's my perception. I've, you know, I came from a non-denominational church, and there was church cooperation within an area uh, because there were other true, sound, gospel-preaching churches, and it's valuable to talk with those guys, what's going on in your church, what's going on in the area, how can we pray for each other. So there's that aspect of it, which I think is very helpful. Um, the Church Venture Northwest stuff, um, they put on camps, so you've got camps at uh, Camp Tadmore, and there's women, there's like women's camps, there's men camps. Uh, the other thing that they're really, as part of their mission statement, is to plant and strengthen churches. So I know uh, that within the last, I don't know if it's going now, but they were trying to plant a church in Pendleton, right? And so there's that aspect of trying to um, you know, rally people and um, even um, monies to get something like that going. So we do pay a yearly amount to CV Northwest to be a part of it. Um, but it doesn't, and there, uh, in, top, in getting a handle on this, like in some of these meetings, uh, it does have some teeth in the sense that they were talking about a couple churches where they had gone off the rails doctrinally, and they basically voted them out of the association. But that happened. Usually, the church would leave the association before they would vote them out. So that's kind of the extreme of what would happen. It's a cooperative. It's and that's what we mean by an association versus a denomination, right? A denomination, you would have more teeth at a higher level to do something within the local congregations. But what we're talking about is an association that they cooperate, they do things together. There's a common doctrinal base. Um, but, but that's kind of it. Yeah, Mike, you had a question. 
right? Well, that there's the mid. Well, there's the the mid there's the CV um, Northwest meeting for the mid Columbia pastors, and that's what I was talking about. Where, um, you know, there's about six, seven, eight, like um, eight of us. No, more about six, I think. But um, that meet and we rotate going around churches and we talk. Oh. The the other thing that. Right, the um, the other thing that is local here, but I've never gone to, is a lot of the pastors from the churches here in Hood River, or up to, I think, a couple guys from Parkdale um, are coming. Um, you know, so you got, like, guys like Jeff Mueller over at, um, uh, gosh, it's Emmanuel Lutheran, yeah. Um, and so, and then you've got the pastor from Vineyard, um, and, and so, so it's, it's, it's like, a, no, it's like a morning prayer, maybe there's snacks for breakfast kind of a thing. I've never gone, so. Yeah. Well, the monthly luncheon thing is what we do for CV Northwest, so. But, uh, so, Pastor Bruce was part of that. I've never gone, um, mainly because there's just a lot, I'm trying to focus my energies here, um, and to be honest, sometimes I with the local one, I'm concerned it's so broad and evangelical scope that, like, there's a lot of churches that would meet there that I might not recommend someone else going to, whereas, like, for the CV Northwest guys, getting to know those guys, I'd be more, like, if, I'd be more happy of recommending, yeah, go to Mark Hafer's church over at Grace Baptist. So that's some of, it kind of goes back to, remember the, the levels of do, doctrinal cooperation that we talked about? at the very beginning, right, that um, first, do you have the true gospel? And then second, um, are there things that divide denominations based on what we, we teach and that are important things? You can still have a level of association with, even though we couldn't be members of each other's churches, um, but I, I, um, that's, that's kind of where we're at with that kind of stuff, so, yeah. There are, the other thing I should mention, um, that's kind of another points of contact that I have. There's this thing connected with the Master's Seminary, which is where I went to seminary, called the Master's Fellowship, which kind of tracks a different uh, TMS grads in an area. And so uh, I was helping up in Spokane get that kind of chapter of that started. I was helping our uh, main teaching pastor up there, and they're still going, but... Um, We've got some guys in our area, so there's a guy in Gresham um, that I've, I've met with them. There's a guy in Vancouver. There's a guy in Beaverton, I think it's Beaverton, um, or maybe Tillsboro. Sorry, Hillsboro. Um, and so there's some of those guys that are in a broad geographical region, and those guys I'm going to be fairly closely doctrinally aligned with. And so I'm, in a sense, I'm kind of more interested in exploring some of those um, connections. We're talking about there's a little kind of chat group thing that we can do, and um, I've kind of posed the idea of uh, us getting together because we've never gotten together as a, all of those churches in that region before. So there's contacts in the area, uh, and there are, uh, and none of that is to diminish any church that is faithfully pre preaching a sound gospel, right? It's just that we have so much time and effort. If there is like-minded churches, yeah, we do want to partner with them to a point, and yet how we partner with them 
It's a matter of wisdom and understanding what their vision and direction and philosophy of ministry is. So, yeah. All right, we should uh, keep moving, unless there are any other questions on that. These are good questions, so I appreciate them. Right. Um, if you were, no. Right. <laughs> if, God forbid, our elder board dies. Or, oh, yeah, deviates. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. Good question. And we're trying, that's a good question. So, um, was there more? I don't want to, oh, okay. That's a good question. So, uh, remember what we started the whole series with, even before we went through the member doctrinal statement of faith, right? The church has the authority, and by church I mean the members of the church, have the authority to affirm other people's discipleship, um, you know, through baptism, through Lord's Supper, and uh, so there's a, there's, a, there's a holistic authority, uh, there's a um, corporate authority that the members have. The elders have the, they, they, they are, in a sense, the members are the ones who have the, um, they hold the keys. That's how Jesus describes it um, in that Matthew 18 section. Uh, meaning we're affirming you uh, to be a disciple or we're not. And if you're not, then the whole membership has the authority to remove someone from fellowship and to bar from the Lord's Supper. So they have a certain um, enforcement authority. Um, whereas the elders, their primary authority is that in teaching and leading. So um, I can... That's why this document is different um, or more detailed than the other um, statement. Here are things that we're going to teach and we're going to counsel. The elders have the authority to counsel. We can teach and um, speak what we believe the scriptures to say. Can I enforce that? Can the elders enforce that um, over, in an issue over against the members uh, who is, are saying, no, no, they can't. So, like, again, this is just because we've talked about it, the close communion issue. The elders believe that. We've taught on that. We're going to continue to teach on that, but we're not pulling the trigger on it because we can't enforce that. That is a rule that the members have, and so that gets expressed through, you know, our meetings, our membership meetings, and our discussions, and those sorts of the things. Now, the other question is, well, what if, what if the elders um, teach something that is totally doctrinal heresy, right? Like, we're going off the rails. Well, this is where um, we have in the Constitution, uh, in the, where it talks about eldership, and we updated this language, that the elders get reaffirmed and reappointed each year, right? Including myself. So, if the members ever, uh, that's kind of their way of, the members' way of saying, all right, if, you, uh, if you're going off the rails, then you have failed to 
um, you failed to uh, do what you ought to do as a member, and you won't be reappointed. Um, and that's a yearly thing. If it was more acute than that, if it was like, uh, okay, we're all, we're all, we've all lost our minds, right, and gone off the rails and are preaching heresy, then probably what the membership would have to do is, um, um, I, don't, I don't know how the Constitution would, uh, right, but I'm saying, let's talk at, um, well, it's, the, the elders appoint, but the congregation has to affirm those elders, right? So the elders do pick, like, yeah, we believe this person is qualified to do this. We're presenting them to the membership to say, um, yes, we, here's who we see. This is, what, um, this is why we're affirming this person uh, or why we are appointing this person. We believe this person ought to serve in this office. And then the membership affirms that through, um, through a vote. Now, if it was acute and it's like, I don't know, this happens in February, and we're just like, we're not going to wait, we're not going to wait 10 months um, when there's like serious heresy going on, um, then I think, in a, from a theological perspective, what the, the members would have to do would be have to call essentially uh, their, own, their own special meeting and would have to say, because of faithfulness to the scriptures and the word, we, um, we have to sack <laughs> the elder board. <laughs> um, now, that's, this is why plurality of leadership is helpful, right? Is that if I start going off base, uh, then Jim and Steve are there to correct me and vice versa. Um, but, uh, and it's, it's also why, it's also why um, you, the membership can't check out in regards to doctrine, Right? Because if you don't know doctrine, it's like, yeah, it sounds good. We'll just kind of sign off on whatever. There still needs to be an understanding. Of, you, you, there's a responsibility that the membership does has to guard sound doctrine and the guard of the true gospel. Look at the New Testament letters, right, where Paul is writing to Galatians. Like, you guys, he's writing to the whole congregation. He's writing to the membership. Like, you guys are uh, abandoning the true gospel because you're tolerating these false teachers. Or the Corinthians, a similar sorts of things happen. Or even some of the letters of John, right, where he's talking to congregations, he's talking about these false teachers that are out and about, coming and visiting to and fro churches, that sort of a thing. It, that ultimate responsibility is, um, it, it comes back to the membership. So, yeah, those are good questions, very good questions, so. Uh, Mike, I think your hand was up. Oh, so like if someone visits who's not a member of this church...
Uh huh. Well, it's kind of how I got hired. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there is this kind of idea of, and it kind of goes back to the cooperation idea, right? The, of pulpit supply, right? There can be situations where we would either invite, you know, if it was someone we thought, hey, this person has something to teach our congregation and we would like them to speak to them. But we would vet that because that's our responsibility as elders, right, to make sure that what's being taught um, it aligns with, with things. So, yeah, good question. Yeah. Uh, many of us do. I mean, I know um, uh, Steve is always talking about listening to um, to guys. There are guys that I've listened to and found very helpful on a regular basis. I right now I don't, uh, not because I don't think that that's valuable. It just there's some things that um, are more valuable than others, and so it's just one of those things I don't get to unless it's like something or a topic that's like, oh, I'd like to hear that person on that. So. And we all kind of have those people that have, that have spoken into our life. And I think it's value. So here's the thing. I think it's valuable and cool that you can go online and you can listen to some of these great preachers. The, the one caveat to that, and it's, it's, it's good. Go listen to those guys. Get equipped by them. Um, there's a personalness uh, and an accountability that happens when you're listening to your own elders and teachers, right? So you get some, you can go online on YouTube and you're in control, right? You're in total control of who you listen to and who you not. But as someone who's agreeing to be a member of a church, right, um, you are sitting under the preaching of God's word from your, the elders and the teaching of the God's word from the, uh, the and there's, a, there's an accountability to that because not only are you sitting there listening to that, but you're, the other members that you're, covenanted together with here, uh, see you listening to that, and also your elders see you listening to that. So there's a sort of accountability that comes where, you know, a sermon's not just data, there's a transaction happening. And so the transaction becomes a little more impersonal online. I'm not discounting that. Go listen to good preaching online. Um, but there's something special about uh, the teaching and preaching in the local church. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, any other questions? Before we keep moving on. All right. We believe that the purpose of the church is to glorify God um, by building itself up in the faith, by instruction of the word, by fellowship, by keeping the ordinances, and by advancing and communicating the gospel to the entire world. Our mission is to make disciples. Um, uh, ultimately, that's for the glory of God, to honor God. Um, to reflect back to him in some measure his worth. Um, Ephesians 4, um, 11 through 16, the church builds itself up in the faith. How so? Uh, sound doctrine, um, speaking, the, um, speaking truth to one another in love. So I am a minister. I am not the minister. Um, we are all ministers as members in the local church, to speak the truth to one another, to build each other up in the faith. Um, and we do that through a variety of means. Uh, but the, pr the primary means is the word, right? God builds his church through his word. Um, he 
creates out of nothing through his word. Uh, the word became flesh in Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of the gospel. Uh, and then what is our content? We're all centered around Christ and everything we're teaching, right? It's the word because God works um, through his word to build his church. We believe in the calling of all saints to the work of service. We just said that. Um, we're all involved. The entire membership has a job to do. Um, every single individual and corporately, we have a job to do uh, for the glory of God. We believe in the need of the church to cooperate with God as he accomplishes his purpose in the world. To that end, he gives the church spiritual gifts. He gives men chosen for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, that's how it's supposed to work, right? The elders, the leaders, the pastors, the teachers, they're equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And he also gives unique and special spiritual abilities to each member of the body of Christ. So we see that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4. We believe there were two kinds of gifts given to the early church, miraculous gifts of divine revelation and healing, given temporarily in the apostolic era for the purpose of confirming the authenticity of the apostles' message, and ministering gifts given to equip believers for edifying one another. With the New Testament revelation now complete, Scripture becomes the sole test of the authenticity of a man's message, and confirming gifts of a miraculous nature are no longer necessary to validate a man or his message. Miraculous gifts can even be counterfeited by Satan so as to deceive even believers. The only gifts in operation today are those non-revelatory equipping gifts given um, for edification. And I'm going to read the next sentence, and then I'll pause. We believe that no one possesses the gift of healing today, but that God does hear and answer the prayer of faith and will answer in accordance with his own perfect will for the sick, suffering, and afflicted. One of those passages there, James 5, 13 through 16, calls for the elders uh, to be summoned, like someone's sick, uh, it calls for the elders to be summoned to pray over that person and to anoint them with oil. We would do that. We believe that God can heal, and we would um, enact. That doesn't mean I have the gift of healing. God alone can um, heal, and we don't believe that the gift of healing is for today. So any questions on any of that? All right. Got a few minutes. We believe that since the universal church is an assembly of people whose members are to be distinctly revealed at the end of time. I'm going to pause there. So by its nature, the church and the word church just means assembly. So by its nature, the church is people, not the building. Um, it's the people, people assembled together, covenanted together for particular things. But the universal church is those people that Christ has saved. They're going to be revealed distinctly at the end of time. We saw that even in the parables um, in Matthew 13. So that's what the universal church is going to be. It's an assembly of people whose members are to be distinctly revealed at the end of time. The local church is an assembly of people whose members are distinctly revealed at the present time as local representatives of the universal church. So um, God wants his people distinct. He's wanted his people distinct since Genesis. So um, that's part of who we're to be as a local church. It's what's going to happen in the future. The 
the universal church is going to be revealed uh, in all its fullness and all its distinctness at the end of time. We want to mimic that now as a uh, local assembly, as a local embassy of that future reality. The scriptures indicate that there is an inside and an outside to, of the local church, 1 Corinthians 5. We believe that Christ has given his local church, led by his appointed elders, authority to declare who is a member of the local church, who is inside the local church, and who is not, who is outside the local church, primarily by means of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and church discipline. And we talked about those in that series in January. Those three work together to define the boundaries of the local church. Baptism is the initial entry uh, attestation, uh, indication um, of someone, uh, that person's already a believer, but the local church is saying, yes, by what we can see, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, come on in, and we're going to hold you accountable, and we're going to um, help, strive to help you to follow Jesus, even as you, as an individual, use your gifts to serve the church. The Lord's Supper is the ongoing way in which the local church is manifested. Uh, we are taking the family meal together. We are identifying that Christ's body and blood uh, given for us has made us a people, a local people. And then if someone goes astray, uh, church discipline is the back door, right? Um, and says that, all right, you're saying you're a believer. We even affirmed you at one point through uh, baptism or the Lord's Supper, but the way you're walking is not in accord with what Jesus says, and so the members are going to remove their affirmation of your discipleship, which also means they're going to bar you from the Lord's Supper. Um, so uh, that's, that's, that's kind of the basis of membership. In a nutshell, um, that's the basis of membership in that, that paragraph. What questions do you guys have on that? So when we talk about membership, we don't think in terms uh, primarily of the process, though there is a process. We don't think in terms primarily of signing a document, uh, though we might have you sign one. Uh, it's about who is uh, the local uh, grouping of disciples who are working together uh, to affirm each other's discipleship and to help one another to grow and follow Jesus. And part of how we work together for God's glory is that manifestation of the local body of believers, the people um, whom God has redeemed for himself. So, questions? Okay. We believe that two ordinances have been committed to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, Christian baptism by immersion is the solemn and beautiful testimony of a believer showing forth his faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior and his union with him in death to sin and resurrection to a new life. Baptism is also an affirmation by the local church that the one baptized is indeed, by all that can be seen, a disciple of Christ and a member of Christ's church. Baptism is an initial sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ and therefore ordinarily confers membership with, into the local church performing the baptism. This is why uh, I think the last baptism was in April 10th, but you've noticed in our baptisms, right, we're conferring membership at the same time we're, we're dunking the person because that's, that person's already been spiritually baptized by this, 
by the Spirit, into the universal church, what's going on is the church is recognizing uh, and affirming that reality in a visible public way. Um, and so we confirm membership at the same time we baptize. Because not only is that person identifying with Christ, they're identifying with his people, and they're saying, yes, uh, I'm a disciple of Christ, and I'm joining this church, and these people are going to hold me accountable to follow Jesus um, and to, to be a disciple. So, any questions on that? All right, let's stop there. We're right at, um, right at 10. So, um, oh, we can do the last paragraph. Let's do it. It's one paragraph away. I want to get to a section break. Um, we believe that the Lord's Supper is the covenant remembrance and proclamation of Christ's death until he comes and should be always preceded by solemn examination. We believe that the Lord's Supper is the sign of the new covenant and is a meal for the members of the local church to partake in when assembled together as the whole church to display the local manifestation of the one body of Christ on earth. Partaking in this covenant sign is not an individual exercise, but one in which one actively remembers one's solidarity and unity with Christ and his body because of Christ's purchase of the church through his death. Since the Lord's Supper is a display of solidarity and unity of those who are members of Christ's body, we believe that only members of the local church or those who are members of another faithful local church who happens to be visiting should partake in the Lord's Supper. Because believer baptism by immersion is the initial public declaration of membership in Christ's universal and local church, only those who have been so baptized ought to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, this is what we believe. We went through this in January. It's just restated here, but this is what we believe as um, the elders. We're currently not practicing that. We believe we ought to. Um, we believe the members ought to affirm this position um, going forward. But again, we're waiting, we're teaching, we're talking, and we value talking back and forth about this. So um, yeah, any, any questions, comments? Yeah. Right. Yes. And you are. 
Someone can be in a submission. So here's an important point, right? Someone can be in submission to an authority while disagreeing with them. And so I would say that the members um, are seeking to be accurate to Scripture um, and are disagreeing with a particular position of the elders, but are they're not rabble-rousing about it, not creating factions about it. Um, to me, that's, that's submission. That's a submissive attitude, right? Um, yeah, it kind of bothers when there's a disagreement, right? Um, and that's, that's understandable. It's the same way in a marriage, right? Uh, do Ashley and I always agree on everything? No. Um, and yet, if uh, it came down to it and I had to make a call, right, I would make a call and she might still disagree. Um, so disagreement is not lack of submission. Just like even going, here's another issue, right? Um, like with the government, right? We, dis we disagreed and even we went against the official, um, I don't know what you want to call them, proclamations of wearing masks uh, and, um, you know, social distancing. We went against that, right? Did that mean I was trying to overthrow the government or we were trying to overthrow the government or go against them? No, we still had a submissive attitude of, we're going to pray for our leaders. We're still going to um, obey other laws, right? We're not overthrowing all laws, right? So uh, disagreeing does not, does not entail the lack of submission. As far as the, the exceptions or however you want to say that, we're trying to be accurate to what we do see in the scriptures, right? So um, you see Paul, a believer, you know, bouncing around from congregation to congregation, right? And it seems like in Acts, uh, let's say towards the latter chapters in Acts, he ends up, talks about him breaking bread with people. Is that the Lord's Supper or is it just a regular meal? I think sometimes it is. Uh, it gets confusing because originally when the Lord's Supper was practiced, it was a full-on meal. So that gets confusing. But um, we're trying to say, well, hey, look, what is a local church? It's an embassy. So if I go from the United States and I show up in Switzerland and I go to the embassy, right, do I have the rights of a U.S. citizen there at that embassy? Absolutely, right? And they can stamp my passport and all of this kind of great stuff. Um, so if you think about it in that analogy, and I do think it's a proper analogy because what is, what is the church? The church is not the kingdom, yet it's a representative of the future kingdom of Christ. And really, the marks of baptism and the Lord's Supper are um, sort of like uh, issuing a passport and getting a passport stamped. So is it valid for someone to come over from, let's just say, Grace Baptist Church? A mem member comes over, for whatever reason, on a Sunday, Grace Baptist Church, across the river, and White Salmon, and uh, it's a communion Sunday. And they're a member. It's a, um, from what I can see, it's a, uh, it's a faithful gospel-preaching church. It's a... Um, they uh, preach, uh, they teach believers baptism. So here's a member, and they come over. They're coming over to another embassy. So, yeah, of course we want them to partake. Um, do we, as members, know that person in an intimate and deep way? Uh, no. Um, so there is a certain level of that where we're going to, that's what we, all we can do is say the language up front and fence the table and say, hey, look, uh, if you're visiting us from another, essentially what we're saying is, if you're visiting us from us from another embassy, we're welcoming you to the table. What becomes troublesome is when you have people who proclaim to be Christians 
and yet we have zero idea who you are, or even that there's a lack of willingness to commit to a local church um, in membership, then that's, that's disheartening, um, right? Because you're, you're, you're not willing to commit to a local church, but that's part of what it means to be a believer. Um, and so we, we can't, um, in good conscience, uh, allow you to partake, because I have no idea who you are. And, um, and I have, uh, and you're also, or even baptism, right? Like, you're unwilling to obey Christ in this foundational command. You're unwilling to go public with your faith. Um, you're, uh, that, that's serious. Um, and so uh, that's why we're trying to capture, like, um, we're trying to capture what, what we believe the scriptures are saying. Um, in that regard. So uh, sometimes it's like, well, um, there are some churches that practice not close, but totally closed, meaning um, only members, period. And you can kind of see the logic in that because it's like, well, if you're keeping it just to the membership, period, then those are people you know and have affirmed, and so that you are confident in that sense that we're affirming you as a disciple in the Lord's Supper. Um, but the only problem with that position is, is again, seeing guys like Paul bouncing around, right? He's, a, he's part of the, the universal church, but he's bouncing from embassy to embassy, so to speak. And it seems like that person being part of the universal church should be part, uh, able to partake in it. Can I ultimately, can we ever ultimately, are we, um, like at the Lord's t- table, all we can say is here is who should partake. Don't partake if you haven't done this. Well, someone could still come forward and partake in defiance of that. Am I going to slap their hand away? Uh, I don't think so. Um, so, uh, but uh, it, it's, they're ultimately accountable to God for what, um, what we have said and done. What we're trying to do in that practice is um, it's not just about the individual. It's what we're doing corporately that's portraying something uh, to uh, a watching world, that the Lord's table is not open to all. It is not a cheap thing because Christ's death wasn't a cheap thing. And so we take it very seriously. And when you take it seriously, um, there's, there's, uh, there's actually good fruit that comes from that. Um, it may seem harsh uh, at the beginning, but what you're saying is Christ's love is very particular for his people. Uh, and if you're unwilling to commit to his people, and you're unwilling to take this seriously, that is very concerning, and I want to have a conversation with you, um, because if you know Christ, and you love Christ, you're going to love his people, and you're going to want to commit to his people, so. All right, we can talk more uh, as we, in the break, if you guys want. Uh, I appreciate the questions. I appreciate the, the, the concerns. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people um, here shortly, and uh, pray that you would be honored and, and glorified in what we do. Um, pray that you would help us as we worship, as we sing, um, as we listen to your word preached, as we fellowship with one another, as we encourage one another. Give us opportunities even to correct one another as needed. Lord, we want to follow you above all. Uh, we love you. We thank you for the price that you have paid for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together this morning. In Christ's name, amen.